Hi, everybody. Wendy here with Tony. Hey, what's up, everybody? Strangers, <laughs> friends, podcast addicts. Canolians. Or canolios. We still are wondering if anybody cares if we call you what we call you. But if you do, if you care, let us know. Canolios, canolians, or just like Sean Fernandez said, Who shut cares? up. Who <laughs> just cares? talk. <laughs> But thanks for joining in today for episode nine of the Holy Cannoli podcast. Really quick, we wanted to give a thank you shout out to Jordan Go Ducks. I hope I'm saying that right. Who left a five star review saying that he or she really enjoyed the podcast. Yeah, thank you. That was cool. I don't know who this person is. That's really cool. (laughs) So if you are interested in supporting Tony and his work... Um, with his nonprofit Brave Maker. You can check out more information, what he's doing at bravemaker.com. He's building a whole network of financial partners to enable him to do all his work in the Bay Area and the media scene and the entertainment industry. So um, if you go to bravemaker.com, you'll see he's got a PayPal link set up and you can give a one-time donation. You can set up a recurring monthly donation. Even just $10 a month makes a difference, so no donation is too small. Um, But check it out if you want to support all that he's doing already and what you dream to do in the future. you got big dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just want to say thank you to those who have supported. We have seven Brave Maker partners already, and Holy Cannoli is under the Brave Maker umbrella. So those seven financial partners enable me to have time to do this podcast and provide for for me to get gear and have interns this summer and uh, we'll eventually be launching a film fest and different workshops and labs and retreats for artists all around the Bay Area and beyond. So BraveMaker.com is a way that people can support and join this 501c3. And also there's another way you can give too on the website. We have a wish list on Amazon. Actually this microphone that we're using right now (laughs) is because someone sent us uh, this piece of equipment. So Yeah, so if you want to support in those ways, uh, we really appreciate it. And that enables all this creative things, all these creative things to happen. And like Wendy said, I have a dream to start another podcast too called the Brave Maker Podcast, where I interview people who have made stuff bravely and we hear their stories and all the risks that they they took. So thanks for being a part and hope you guys uh, continue to support. Ooh, and I would just add someday that support will help us get a full-time editor for Holy Cannoli so I don't have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So check it out, bravemaker.com. And we also want to remind you of our sponsors, exclusiveimage.net. That's our friends, Jeff and Aftan Murphy. They are so talented and they want to help um, offer some discounts for Brave Maker fans. Mm -hmm. So you can go to exclusiveimage.net slash Brave Maker for any of your website or logo or graphic design needs that you have, and they can help you out. Mm-hmm. So why don't you introduce who our special guest is? Oh, I'm excited for you guys to listen today. <laughs> Episode 9, you get to sit in as Tony chats with his best friend, Matt Nightingale. You might have heard him referenced in last week's episode. So um, we've got a great story for you. It's going to be a two-part story, so um, next week will be part two of Matt's story, but sit back and enjoy. You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. 
Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. You are welcome. I'm getting out mints not because you needed it, but because occasionally <laughs> I do. And there might be a, uh, a time when you whiff my breath, so. Yes, and I'll just go. I'll just make a gesture. Gesture. All right, here we go. All right, Tony Gapastone here, and this is crazy. I'm in San Francisco in the quietest bookstore slash cafe you've ever been at. I am, I have a very special guest on, and I'm going to look at him right now and tell him the name of the podcast. It's called Holy Cannoli. (laughs) (laughs) Holy Cannoli is recording live in the Mission of San Francisco, and I'm with my good friend, we go back 18, 19, oh 18 gosh. years, 18 years. And I told Matt Nightingale, I just revealed who it is. Matt Nightingale, I told him when I was starting the podcast that I thought, oh, I'd love him to be a regular on the podcast. His story, his journey is just crazy. And I've learned a lot from him. I love him. And here he is, Matt Nightingale. Welcome to Holy Cannoli. What do you think of the name? <laughs> I like it. Uh, I feel like I've heard it before. I think on Facebook somebody had. Yeah, oh, my mother-in-law. It, right, my mother-in-law is the one who suggested it. Okay, yeah. so when you said it, I wasn't entirely shocked. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good one. So the whole idea behind the podcast, Matt, is that we find God, the sacred, the holy, in the randomest, weirdest, strangest mm-hmm. places, like a cannoli. Mm-hmm. I thought the name was perfect because. <laughs> I want to tell stories, and you're going to hear occasional background noise, you guys, of people in the cafe, potentially, um, but just ignore that. It's, this is the coolest thing, though, really. We're in this bookstore. I feel like I'm in an independent movie right now. <laughs> this is so cool. But so, Matt, you've got lots of stories. Let's just kind of start wherever you want to start. Where do you want to start on your journey of experiencing God in the strangest ways? Oh, man. That's the most open-ended question anyone has ever asked. Uh, I, I think we should talk about, as I sit here with you, kind of what's going through my mind. And I was kind of like blown away when you said 18 years. And I'm like, really? But yeah, 2000. Yeah. And so I kind of want to talk about like the first time I met you and what sure. kind of what, what our relationship was like back then. So yeah. it's really, really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came to the church where you were serving mm-hmm. uh, in the year 2000 with my wife and two children at the mm-hmm. time, uh, little boys. They were probably three and six, something like that. Uh, and it was my first full-time worship ministry job. And I remember you because, uh, like when I came to, um, what's the word candidate when uh-huh. I came to candidate for the position Which for people who are listening to this, this basically means in the church world, you have interviewed a number of times where they say, we're interested in you. We like you. And now we're going to put you before the people, before the congregation, and sometimes let them vote. Mm -hmm. But so in your case, you were the worship pastor candidate. So Mm -hmm. you had to lead music and sing and put together a whole church gathering experience. Yep. Okay. And I remember uh, I found a reading that I had really enjoyed. And I had, and I asked them, you know, who who can read this? Who can do this kind of dramatic presentation? And they said, oh, Mm -hmm. Tony, he'd Mm -hmm. be great. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you, and I think it was Wendy. Wendy, Yeah. yeah. Who my wife, your wife, and she also produces the podcast. Actually, so. okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it was it was Tony and Wendy, and I don't even know if you were dating at the time. Maybe it had mm. just started, mm. or we definitely had your yeah, on and off one of our times. offs. Probably our first off. Yeah. Okay. 
but yeah, that's the first time I met you, and you and Wendy like performed the spoken word piece mm-hmm. as part of my candidating. Yeah, I Sunday remember. Morning. It was cool. Yeah, and I think we were doing the Sunday night in the gym because I have a we were, yep. really strong memory of doing it in the gym too. Yep. And I remember I had to to like lead that gathering and then like run and get in the car and like head out like before the sermon even I think to go home yeah. oh yeah. wow weird because we were living in Southern California at the time okay so oh I remember because you have these big eyes <laughs> and I remember joking with our um lead pastor or one of our pastors at the time saying and you also I think had a beard right I had a goatee okay you had a goatee <laughs> and you looked very Jesus like to me and I remember saying oh we should definitely get him because he could play Jesus with those eyes yeah. <laughs> those piercing big eyes <laughs> I, it's funny, I don't think of my eyes as being so uh, what piercing, but I think they are. They're big. They're like bulbous. They're they're like, they, they are protruding. <laughs> they, ha- they are like big. Remember like the garbage pail kids with <laughs> the eyes coming out of the sockets? They're not that bad. I know. I mean, they're so, just big. This is funny, though. When I, went to, uh, when I went to Los Angeles a couple weeks ago, well, a month ago now, I, I was hanging out with my boyfriend, and he was introducing me to some, my boyfriend at the time, he was introducing me to some friends, uh-huh. and there was little kids, and one of them just could not get over my eyes. He kept saying, your eyes are weird. You have buggy out eyes. And I was so self-conscious about it. But I was really good at like, yeah, my eyes are, I had kind of forgotten. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, I guess I do. Well, the funny thing is, I don't think about that anymore, but mm-hmm. just the fact that you were saying my our first impressions, I remember yeah. going, your eyes are so <laughs> unique. I guess, yeah. All right, so you started there. So what happened then? I don't know. Uh, Well, I got the job. Yeah. um, And I remember moving my family from Los Angeles area to uh, to the Bay Area. And did we become quick friends? I kind of feel as if we did. Yeah, but I think it took. It takes some time. Yeah, several months. I, I yeah. don't feel like we were, I mean, we were colleagues and very friendly, sure. and I think we respected mm-hmm. each other. Well, we did a lot of stuff together because we had mm-hmm. to be in the same meeting. By that time, the organization was still um, small, where there was only a small handful of people that were doing all of the gatherings. Did we have one or two at the time? Probably two, right? Gatherings? Three. We had three. We did have three at the mm-hmm. time? Two in the morning, one at night. Mm-hmm. Okay. The two in the morning were identical. Got you, yeah. At the time. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, so you and I started working together a lot right away. And um, and then, I mean, it's a huge long story, and we don't really probably have time for all of it, but I, there came this moment of crisis for me in that first, uh, actually it was within the first two years. I think it was in 2002. Uh, by that time, my wife and I had twins. We had, we had just given birth to twins. In 2001, in 2001 right? 2001, yeah. And, and just to back up to make... Uh, a point about your kids because I became quickly connected to your two boys and I always attribute uh, Jake and Josh to helping me learn what it means to be a parent because I would take them out and you know do like I remember pumpkin carving taking them to the beach and I remember you let me stay with them Mm -hmm. for a week or a weekend or something I'm like this is crazy this is so hard (laughs) you know but I remember loving it I really felt like I got an understanding of the family dynamic with you and your wife and your family mm-hmm. at that time. And then when the kids were born, oh my, the twins, yeah. I just go like, oh my gosh, your life was like a tailspin in so many yeah. ways. Yeah, for sure. Because it was six months after the twins were born that I finally came clean about my sexuality to my wife first. Well, actually first to a friend who was in, in our band. And then shortly after that, about a month later to to my wife and then shortly after that to our pastor who was my boss at the time and 
and another one, and then you. I think you might have been the third mm -hmm. kind of staff member friend mm -hmm. to find out about it. And I was confessing uh, that I was that I was gay, or at the time, as I would have put it then, same-sex attracted. Yeah, or uh, I struggled, I struggled with same-sex yeah. attraction, yeah. And I even was confessing uh, a sexual experience I had had early on in my marriage. I had to kind of own that. And that you had had a sexual experience mm -hmm. with a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was like the one and only, and it had been yeah. long, long ago, but it was something I really needed to come clean on. And, and at the time I was looking at it as I, I, I had been doing some reading. I had heard about this organization called Exodus International that was helping people come out of homosexuality and, and change their, um, we're totally going to hear. Is that the bathroom? Yes. <laughs> I just realized we're right in front of the bathroom. <laughs> that was the... We might hear him pee so if, if very you quiet. hear, Or we could hear other noises. So if you hear some flatulence, it's not me or Matt. Or maybe this. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's the best. That's the best. Uh, anyway, so back to this compelling yeah. story. Uh, yeah, so I was like, I, I had been reading about this organization that helped people like me. And basically, I, I had known I was different since I was 10 years old. Like an X-Men different? Yeah, I had superpowers. <laughs> no, I was I was gay. <laughs> Which is a superpower in and of itself, I have to tell you. Uh, a lot of people see that the X-Men stories are about the gay community. I mean, that. yeah, you can see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I knew when I was 10 years old, and that's a whole other story. But, yeah. uh, but I had kind of just driven it underground and decided mm -hmm. I was going to not act on it in any way, and I was going to be a good Christian boy and grow up and you know, get married and have kids and be a pastor. And so I did, I did all that. Mm -hmm. And, and by the time I was about eight years into my marriage, when this happened, when the twins were born and I just knew that I couldn't continue this life of kind of feeling like two different people. I felt so, um, I felt so, so guilty about this one thing that had happened, you know, eight years ago, but it, it just weighed heavily on me. And and I was very convinced at the time that this was sinful and broken and deviant and I couldn't possibly be honoring to God uh, as, you know, if I were to like act on this or anything. So I was very conflicted and I, there was a number of things that happened, different songs that I heard, different interviews that I heard that were so compelling. And <laughs> we're laughing because I'm hearing this. He flushed. flushed the toilet. So. <laughs> Anyway, so I came out, like, not to come out, but I came out to be healed. To be healed, yeah. I came out to get therapy. I came out to be free. I came out to um, to fix my marriage, mm. to make it all that it could be, to be mm -hmm. the best dad, the best man, the best pastor. And, and really, that narrative really played itself out mm -hmm. over the next five or six years at that same church with my good friends. Um, and you were a huge part of that mm -hmm. story because you were, maybe more than anyone else, um... I don't know, understanding, accepting, you walked the road with me, you loved me despite mm -hmm. this thing that we both at the time really considered to be a brokenness in me. Mm -hmm. um, we both kind of explored it, we talked about it. You were kind of accountability partner to me in many ways. Mm -hmm. You were um, you were like an aff affirming person in my life, like affirming my masculinity, you kind of yeah. like all the things that- Remember I made you a CD mix, Ugh. dude. I'll and never they, forget. What I was it called? It. What was it called? The, the songs, tunes for your trip, because we were Luann and I and the kids were going to go on a trip, and this was right after I had come out to you. Yeah. And I walked out my front door, 
and there it was, this mixed CD on my porch with all this cool artwork on it. Uh, those are the early 2000s, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still have it. I found it recently and tweeted about it, you remember? And mm-hmm. I like tagged you in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that the song with um, the Katy Perry, yeah. form, formerly Kate Hudson? Katie yes. Hudson? Yes, it's called uh, You Search Me by uh, Katie, uh, Kate, Kate Hudson. Because I met her, this is uh, funny, I met yeah. her at that one conference and she sang this song. I was like, this song is amazing. Mm-hmm. But I remember that time really being special for me too because I was felt, I felt like I was seeing God and I think I did. I, mm-hmm. I saw God move in really cool ways in yep. you through, so. you know, and part of my background was I would say I had like a lot of sexual confusion. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have this and I'm still learning about um, the fluidity of sexuality and you know identification, but I always was made fun of for being gay in high school because I was not your stereotypical man, which was part of my identity issue mm-hmm. that I didn't play football and I was in the theater, <laughs> <laughs> and I liked to put product in my hair and dress nice, so everyone so equated, gay. yeah, everyone equated <laughs> that you're you're gay. And back then, like some in some parts of the country, this today, it wasn't just like you're gay; it was like we need to beat you up and mm. make you feel horrible about yourself and yeah. call you faggot. Yeah. But I also was like always getting girls too. And I think there was this thing of like people, guys were jealous of me or whatever. Um, just a weird, weird time in my life. Yeah. But I also had this heart for people who felt on the outside because of that. Mm-hmm. And so you sharing your story with me, I felt like, well, and at that time I believed God's design, in mm-hmm. quotes, mm-hmm. was for a man and a woman in marriage. You were married to a woman yeah. when you're bringing the story to me. So what else could I do then, of course, walk alongside you, mm-hmm. pray with you, help you be a man, mm-hmm. help you be... I, I guess I never man. would have said I would. I was trying to help you be straight, man. I, although, I was trying to help you be faithful to Luann. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. I feel like back then, I sure said it. I, I mm. often said... I'm not gay. Like, I, there's this whole thing in the ex-gay movement of we don't claim the identity of gay. That's really important. And so I was kind of trained through those years of therapy to not claim that identity because that's somehow powerful. If I claim the gay identity, then that's like that's like uh, putting my identity in something other than Christ. Right. That's what I was told. And I would always push back on, even <clears throat> in the most recent years, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years later, yeah. we would talk about that because... Like, Identity has always been super huge yep. for me too. And I like go, oh, Jesus gives us his identity. So as we would, you know, mm-hmm. navigate through this and you were, you know, progressing in yeah. your understanding, I would be like, Wait I would go, yeah, like really? Like yeah. even if you are gay, well, you are gay. Even mm-hmm. if you're saying I'm coming out and I'm gay, does that have to be your main? And I'm still trying to figure out what that looks sure. like and how do I navigate through that with you or anyone, you know? Well, I have, so that's a totally different topic, but I'll speak to it for a minute because it's mm-hmm. important to me. I, I, I get that all the time from really well-meaning, awesome people who are like, well, why are you, you know, claiming that identity, your identity should be in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but to me, it's just so funny because like, no, who says that to a black person who says, mm-hmm. uh, why are you claiming the identity of black yeah. to me? And some people do. Well, and some them, people do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm a some black people, Christian. Yeah. I'm right. a gay Christian. Yeah. yeah I'm a, I'm a, yeah. Iran, Iranian Christian. Well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We, we claim the things that are true about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I have come to believe that that question in and of itself is like a, it's like a privilege marker or like privileged people can say that when you're in the majority, you never have to claim your identity. You never have to yeah. come out as anything. You just are who you are. Yeah. And there's no one pushing back or asking you about it or 
you're assumed to be straight from the minute you're born, put in blue clothes, and people talk about, oh, he's going to be a real lady killer someday. Mm. And that's just the way it is. Um, they did that with me, too. They do that with all gay kids. And so eventually there comes a point where we have to come out in order to tell the truth about ourselves. Because if we just go along with it, then we are living a lie. We're, we're uh, accepting what the culture says to be true about us. Mm. And we have to at some point say, no, that's not true. And as far as the label or the identity of gay, I, it, to me, it's just true. Gay simply means I'm attracted to the same sex. I mean, there's way more to it than that too, but that is like at bare minimum, that's the definition. Like, so if I feel attraction to a man, and not to a woman. <laughs> I'm not bi, I'm gay. And mm -hmm. so that's that's just been true about me for all these years. And so it, for me, it's just telling the truth. It's not like trying to put on some label that supersedes my, my, my Christianity or my relationship with God. It's just a true thing about me. So mm -hmm. I, I have no trouble kind of owning that label. And that was actually a real huge breakthrough for me at one point mm -hmm. um, in the not too distant past, yeah. probably six seven years ago when and i said and i remember i remember that oh my gosh i remember being with you driving <laughs> it was when i was candidating for this the, my most recent church here and and i came out um to santa rosa which is where i live now for this church and you picked me up uh mike and nicole and oh, uh, i yeah. were at this place in in kenwood and you uh. picked me up there and drove me to your house and i remember as we were driving like almost to the golden gate bridge this is when it came up. I don't know why this is so vivid huh. to me. And I, I said something memory. about, I, 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 I'm I, gay, Tony. Uh -huh. And like, duh, you already knew that. But yeah. I had never used that language Said it before. out loud. And and you were kind of taken aback by like, mm -hmm. whoa, wait, I just need to process this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I remember I you just that. being like, whoa, yeah. okay, but let me, I just need to think about yeah. that and what it means. You know? Exactly. Yeah, I totally remember that. Well, let's go back because when yeah. you were, quote unquote, coming out with your same sex Attraction, struggle, attract, right? You yeah. know, and you were married to your then wife, and you mm -hmm. had two boys, and then twins, a boy and a girl that yeah. just were born. Yep. I mean, that was a whole tailspin of a time that you went through, yeah. uh, counseling and therapy, yep. and um, what's the other word? What's the other word? Like the therapy, the um, reparative. Yeah, type. I mean, there's like kind Different. of like official titles yeah. for like I don't know if I ever actually did reparative therapy, okay. but that's kind of what we talk about when we kind of ex-gay yeah. therapy. And what does that mean approaches. for the listeners to understand? Um, like, I guess I guess a therapeutic approach to trying to change sexual, sexual orientation. Uh -huh. um, and it's different now. You know, 15, 18 years later, there's, the, there are, the, the culture has changed so much, I think, for the better. But, so there's, there's a lot of pushback in the general culture, even in evangelical churches, against kind of this conversion therapy. Like most people today, even conservatives on this issue, will say, okay, we at least acknowledge that people aren't gonna change. Mm -hmm. So now they're calling us to celibacy. They're calling okay. us to kind of figure out a way to live with it mm -hmm. while not acting on it. Mm -hmm. They won't say necessarily, you can change. Mm -hmm. But some do still. There's, there's so like Exodus International, which was this huge umbrella organization for all these little local um, kind of healing or ex-gay groups across the nation. And I was a part of some of those groups. Exodus eventually closed, and and like issued an apology to all of us and said, "We're sorry. We tried to change you. This was not." It doesn't work. Mm. We have like 99% of us never experience any change. You know, mm. we just say we do and we, tr mm. we intend to and we try our best and we kind of convince ourselves that we do, but we really don't when we get down to it. And 
So Exodus closed, but there was this remnant within Exodus that said, well, we're not going to give up. And so they, they call themselves the Restored Hope Network. And it's this little ragtag group of like ex-gay ministries that to this day exists. Hmm. And it's so fascinating. Like there's this um, couple that was really big in the ex-gay movement back when I first got into it. Their names were John and Ann Polk, P-A-U-L-K. And she was an ex-lesbian, he was an ex-gay man, and they were married now with children. And they were like focused on the families, like poster children for mm. this. Well, John has now renounced that and is ex-ex-gay. <laughs> but Anne is still like solidly, like they've divorced, he divorced her. Wow. She's still like 100%, this is wrong, I'm fighting the good fight. I'm, mm. She's a big part of that restored hope network. Mm -hmm. That's totally a tangent, but I think it's so interesting that there's this whole group of people who so many sure. of us have walked away from that, yeah. what we consider to be such a bankrupt idea that we could somehow change our sexuality, but some are holding on for dear life because they really still believe it and they, they are doing their best to be faithful to their understanding of reality. And that's where I think, for me, the journey is so complex because everyone's got these different stories, right? And your story is you, you know, the Twitter version is you uh -huh. and your wife really quote unquote tried oh, to make it work. Mm -hmm. You did counseling, you talked, you had all these strategies and intentions. And at some point from the time you guys at 2001 have the, the conversation, yeah, it was 2002, 2002. Mm -hmm. I mean, at one point you were calling yourself a mixed orientation couple, mm -hmm. meaning, yeah. you know, one couple is one person is gay, one person is straight yeah. and it's both out in the open. Mm -hmm. And I, you exposed me to like this is a reality of a lot of people oh, in so many in the church or in yep. the world, right? Yep. So There's a movement of people who do this and who say, you know, because I want to honor God and this is how I interpret the scriptures. Yep. This is how they're living their life. But you, you move past this. Mm -hmm. Bring us up to speed on how that happens and what that looks like. I mean, it's a really long story with so much kind of like agonizing mm -hmm. years, honestly, of of thought and conversations and reading and studying and prayers and kind of trying to hold on. And so it's really hard to try to say it in a short amount of time, but you, and we did this for 16 years. I think people don't often don't realize kind of the significance of that. We, we, I guess it was, it, it was actually 15 years that we, uh, until I kind of announced my intention to come out publicly and to leave the marriage and, um, and it was, it was a long, slow process. You know, the first many years were very, um, very full of hope and full of expectation that we would do this for the rest of our lives. And that I was going to get healed and get better. And, and for a long time, I even convinced myself that I was, to be honest, I would be able to, I would say really believing it. Like I, I can tell my attractions, my attractions are changing. Do you remember me saying that? Vaguely. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. I remember any specific times, but yeah. I, I, I was pretty convinced that, that it was changing. Mm -hmm. I look back now, and what I think that actually was, was learning to control my behaviors. Like, I really do... Well, and it's so funny. So many of us kind of who went through this, at one point or another, uh, entered sex addiction therapy. So I was in 12-step groups for sex addiction for years. And I really was convinced that I was a sex addict. Like I bought it hook, line and sinker. I did the 12 step groups. I had a sponsor, I, all of it. Um, and, and I realize now that I'm not a sex addict. I'm just not. Um, what I was, was a gay man who was trying to deny his, his true self. Yeah. And, and so every time I would like have a, a lustful gay thought or every time I would look at porn or something, I was like, 
oh, I slipped again. See, it's this compulsive sexuality of mine. And I see now that it was just a very normal and healthy gay identity trying to be itself, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so the first thing I think I realized after many years was that I wasn't going to change. Like, uh, it just wasn't going anywhere. And so then I kind of had to have a reckoning and go, okay, I guess this is just my cross to bear for the rest of my life. I'll never feel for my wife what a normal heterosexual man might feel for his wife and she'll never have that relationship either but she kind of didn't know what she was missing and you know we kind of were like well okay and we had so many good things in our lives we had such wonderful community we had a beautiful family I had a successful ministry career um we were very happy in lots of ways there was always this kind of deep sadness at the heart of our marriage that most people didn't know about but it was there and it was this kind of like I look back and imagine it as this like just a disconnect or an incompatibility that that was very obvious and apparent to us but we kind of just overlooked it or thought we can just kind of keep at this and try to make it better and better and we did everything we could to try to make it better um but at the end of the day we both would have to just kind of go well I guess this is as good as it gets like we're just gonna have to learn to live with this and be okay with it and we were willing to do that for a while um, the next thing that happened for me in terms of the evolution of this was I got to a place where I owned the title of gay. Like I finally just said, you know, it's stupid to try to deny that I'm gay when I am so clearly gay. And, and if that really only means that I'm attracted to men, why am I lying about it? Why am I saying that that's not true? So that was the next step for me was to say, okay, I'm a, I'm a gay man. I'm not going to act on it. I still thought it was immoral to, to behave in a, or to act on it, to have gay sex or to be in a gay relationship. But I was willing to kind of forego that because I was married and, you know, I had all these good reasons to, but I was at least finally owning that title of I'm a gay person. And actually every time I would like have a, every time I would have one of these steps, I had this enormous peace come over me. Like the first one is like, this isn't going to change. <sighs> okay. I'm good. I'm all right. Okay. I mean, not like, not like, okay, I'm off the hook, but more like, I don't have to try anymore yeah, to change. You can accept I, it. I can let go of this horrible responsibility. I have to try to change the central thing about myself. It's not going to change. Okay, good. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And that's where your wife was even using language. Like you, I remember at times it was so weird for me, but you guys would joke around about like you being gay. You know, there'd yeah. be times when you would say like, that's what it's like when you're married to a gay husband yeah. or something like yeah. that. And you even started... A, a Twitter handle called another. Oh. Was that what was that about? That comes later. Oh, okay. okay. But I'll, I'll get there. Okay. I probably wouldn't have mentioned, but now that you say that, I'll, I'll get to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then like when I when I finally like accepted the reality of the term gay for me, it was like oh, again another like relief moment where I could like rest and go, all right, so I'm gay. That's cool. I, I it just yeah, and then the next step would have would have been like realizing that that's okay for me to be gay. Like even before I could affirm gay sexuality theologically, I was okay to be a gay man. Like mm -hmm. it didn't make me sick, broken, evil, disgusting. And there was such relief in that too. Cause for so long I had kind of trained myself to just kind of hate this mm -hmm. identity, this part of me that was so. And you were hating yourself. Yeah. I wouldn't have said it at the time. I would have said, I hate this thing about me or mm -hmm. I hate this sinful proclivity in me. But, but I, I see now that sexuality is such an, uh, an integral part of our identity. We really cannot separate ourselves from it. I think that's a lie that people tell themselves. Um, 
And so, yeah, I was absolutely denying a core part of my identity and trying to say that it wasn't true, first of all. And, and then when I finally said, it's okay, it's true. And, and God's okay with that. And I can be okay with that. And my friends can be okay with that. It was a relief. It was a real relief. And, and I found every time, this is interesting. Back when I thought I was a sex addict, I, I did find myself very compulsive about pornography, about things like that. And, and I was always trying not to, but I found that I was very compulsive about it. And it was really difficult for me not to. Every time one of these things would come up where I would be like, oh, it's okay. My, my compulsivity lessened every time. I just think that's an interesting thing. Say more about that. Um, to the point where, you know, as I go through this evolution, I finally get to the point where obviously I, I come out and I'm dating men, so that's a different story. Mm -hmm. But I will say that, like today, my compulsive behavior around pornography mm. is almost non-existent compared to what it was like I when see. I was trying to be a straight man in a straight marriage and trying everything within me, like, don't do that, don't do that. Gotcha. It became so big in my... Um, vision it was always this this is evil and i'm fighting it that i was more compulsive more apt to choose things i didn't want to do i don't know mm. and so in other words this idea of the natural versus unnatural because your same-sex attraction was always deemed in your mind and in the world in which you lived as being unnatural yeah. you were very much attracted to it when yeah. you became more accepting that this was a natural part of who you were mm -hmm. it became less attractive to try and find those needs to be met in these unhealthy ways of pornography totally yeah, yes that's interesting yeah <clears throat> we're gonna um this is such a good conversation we're gonna make this a two-part episode uh and so listeners i want to encourage you to to tune in for next week because this is not an easy discussion to have first of all matt thank you for being willing to be open and transparent and i'm even you know as i put this out there i'm knowing that some listeners are hearing things like um, God is okay with it and normalizing the, the, the gay identity. This has been a journey for me to walk through as well. And so for part two, I want to talk a little bit about that, uh, accepting and evolving into reading scriptures in a different way, because scriptures have been used in such a way that have been, um, oppressive to the gay community. And even as you were talking about coming out, I remember when you did and you and uh, your wife had you know been public about your parting of ways through divorce mm -hmm. i was still on staff with the church mm -hmm. that uh i was you know working with in which you worked yeah. funny funny enough i had your same office and <laughs> you know not your same position because i don't sing as good as you do but it was so interesting and i want to talk more about that in episode yeah. two yeah. how that impacted me and what i had to go through not that it's all about me but you know the whole idea is i was experiencing god in these strange ways as yeah. i was watching you experiencing god in these strange ways that yeah. were totally outside yeah. of the norm of quote unquote god's design quote unquote um evangelical christianity yeah. and so stick with us for episode part two of this conversation with uh, matt nightingale you can post questions or suggest topics for the podcast on our Holy Cannoli Facebook page or use the hashtag Holy Cannoli Podcast on Twitter and we might read your question or suggestion on air. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli.